Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm Mila Atmos. Our guest today is Dr. James Doty. He's a neurosurgeon at Stanford University and the founder and director of the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. He's also the author of Into the Magic Shop. This book is part memoir and part scientific exploration in which he tells the true story of the life-changing magic of compassion and mindfulness. You may rightfully wonder what this has to do with civic engagement. The reason is that Dr. Dodi gives us both insight and inspiration on how we can harness the power of the brain and the heart to help us be better humans. The foundation of his work on compassion is life lessons that illuminate how we all have the capacity to change our own destiny, first in our own lives, and then in those around us, and finally in our society. I went to visit Dr. Dodi for an interview at his office at Stanford. As soon as we started talking, it became clear that changing our narrative, accessing the magic within us, must start with believing that we can. The only things that stops one from manifesting things is is yourself. You can't take the first step if you don't believe you can. What happens to so many of us, and this is where this negative narrative comes in for so many people, is that it's a creation of the events that are occurring around us and, of course, ourselves and our processing of those events. I mean, how many times have you said, you know, I really want to do this, and then you have four or five of your quote-unquote friends say, no, you'll never be able to do that. It happens all the time, and we don't appreciate how that negative talk then enters into the narrative we create in our head, which is, well, of course, they said I can't do it, I can't do it. And uh, it limits you, because when you believe it, then it becomes the reality. If you believe you cannot do X, Y, or Z, therefore you never take the step to do it, therefore, of course, it's impossible. It's not a matter of can't. It's either I choose at this point not to do it, or at this point there are events that may be limiting it from happening right now, but it's not an issue of the possibility does not exist. I don't ever use can't. I don't ever use never. They just don't exist in my vocabulary. The only time that is reality is when you say it and it becomes you. And this is this whole idea of changing this dialogue because the dialogue that goes on in so many people's head is not a positive one. It's a negative one. It's one of being hypercritical. It's one of not being kind to yourself. It's one based on the negative judgments of others. All of us have a shadow. All of us have a dark aspect of ourselves. All of us uh, uh, have things that we would prefer not to talk with others about because we haven't resolved them and we live with them. But it doesn't mean that overall you're not a wonderful, blessed, great person. And this is a burden that each of us carries. The part that you're beating yourself up about might make up 1% and you're focused on that and not looking at the 99%, which is beautiful, caring, giving, and has the potential to change the world and to change every life around yourself. And so when you, you can change that narrative to understand this reality and not respond to it. And in fact, change it to one of which you're overflowing with gratitude, goodness, kindness, where you want to embrace everybody. 
remarkable things happen, and this is what I say in the book. Dr. Doty refers to his own experience. Growing up poor, the son of an alcoholic father, and a deeply depressed mother. The summer when he was 12, he met a woman named Ruth in the local magic shop. She was the mother of the shop's owner and was helping out for six weeks. In addition to helping her son with the store, she devoted those weeks to transforming young Jim Doty's mind and opening his heart. She taught him visualization techniques, a powerful tool that gave him the courage to imagine a future in which he achieves his life's dreams, becomes a doctor who has a fancy car. He now inhabits that future and has become a leading neurosurgeon. She gave him the tools he needed to change the narrative, his perspective, and ultimately how he interacted with the world. My personal life circumstance did not change um, after my time with Ruth, but what changed was how I reacted to it. You know, I had anger, I had feelings of hopelessness, I had feelings of despair, I had shame, I had the feelings of failure, and I would sit with that. And then when people run across someone who is like that, where, you know, your head's down and you react in an angry way to everything, and maybe even they offer you possibilities, and you go, leave me alone, that's not going to happen, you're not sincere, et cetera, et cetera. What you've done is you've created how the world responds to you. And when you change that way you look at the world, then the world changes the way it interacts with you. And so while my circumstances didn't change per se, my interaction with the world changed. And this is why I didn't carry that same degree of anger because I accepted the reality of my situation but did not put the emotional response to it. Like, I have a right to be angry and you know nothing's ever going to change. And, and because the only thing we have is this moment. We don't know what's going to happen at the next moment. So to sit there and say nothing's going to change, we have no knowledge of that. And so being with that allowed me to not have the anger and hostility and disappointment that I had with my parents. At their core, actually, they were very nice people. They just did not have a tool set that allowed them to function sort of and to be able to help myself or my brother or sister. They were just stuck, but it wasn't their fault. You hear this narrative that poor people choose to be poor. If you have a horrible background, you have all these burdens, the reality is most people haven't been given the tools or the situation to get out of it. You know, I can't be angry at a person who, as an example, a, a minority youth who's grown up with a single mother, has multiple siblings on welfare, n- no possibility to get an education, no environment uh, to even study or be encouraged to study. Is it really his fault that he's angry, hostile, has no hope or possibilities? No. So I have to have compassion and recognize when we see people in these difficult circumstances, they're carrying a lifetime of pain that they haven't been able to resolve or deal with. And it's, it's not necessarily their fault at all. And it's insulting to them. And it's, it's a very negative thing. You know, I see people from affluent backgrounds <clears throat> who've had every possibility in their lives. And then they look at somebody and go, I made it. <laughs> it. Well, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yes, you had a stable home life. Yes, you had food every day. You know, you had tutors. You had uh, all of these advantages which, which you somehow don't think did anything for you or changed your life. Being 
compassionate kind of people and recognizing this reality, you can't be angry at them. You can't be hostile. It's having empathy and, and caring. This is this idea of an open heart. Changing the way you look at the world allows for more compassion and empathy. It helps you see more clearly some of the world's injustices. It's insulting to blame poverty on the poor. It's unfair to undervalue the effects of access to opportunity and having a stable home life. Reframing your perspective is crucial. I just realized that I had the power, like each of us do, to create our own narrative, to create our own intention. And when you do that without the baggage of hostility, anger, then actually people in general want to help you and they want to be kind. It's like when somebody approaches you in an aggressive, negative fashion, what do you do? You immediately put up your own defenses and yeah, and you want to, you step back and you want to get away from them. If people come up to you with an open heart and kind and smiling and say, can you help me? Or I would appreciate if you would do this. Uh, my experience repeatedly is people want to go out of their way to help you. You know, Paul Ekman has done this work on microfacial expressions. Your body habitus, your, your facial expressions, even your smell has a huge impact immediately when you interact with somebody. And, uh, and people don't appreciate that. And so when you come with all of those things that say, I'm not afraid, I'm open, I just want to be with you, I'm vulnerable, and people have been very kind to me. If you are kind, respectful, and honor the dignity of each human being, people will bend over backwards to help you. When people see that you care, they want to care for you. It's a vibe you put out into the world. We next discussed his work in compassion and altruism. How do the two relate? Parents readily do things that would put their life at risk in order to save their child. And yet, we have evolutionary impulses to preserve our own lives. These are deeply ingrained behaviors. One of the problems is, though, that we see this bystander effect where an event occurs and people keep looking to see who's going to do something. They just stand there. Now, some have argued that protects our genes because if everybody jumped in to always do this, then none of us would be around. I'm not sure if that's really true. I just think that uh, there is something within us that desires uh, to help others and that other things in our evolution oftentimes will inhibit that. And you have to be aware of that fact. In a modern world, our changes in society move much more rapidly than evolution, which takes hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, to adapt to a niche. But our niches are changing so rapidly, we don't have the ability to adapt to that. So the things that we hold over, which have been beneficial in the past, of course, is this fundamental nature of us to care and to connect with others. But the other things that are no longer useful in a modern world are um, our flight, fight, fear response. Because we were never meant to live in the society, what normally we would respond to in terms of our sympathetic nervous system to allow us to survive, those aren't the same issues that we had 200,000 years ago on the savannah in Africa. And our DNA has not fundamentally changed since that time. You know, hearing loud noises, cars backfiring, getting phone calls all the time, being in a job that's requiring you to do this and this and this, 
the way we survived as a species was we wake up when the sun comes up, go to sleep when the sun goes down. We don't have these artificially extended hours. We don't have all these people wanting things from us. And as a result, our sympathetic nervous system is chronically engaged. And this is the source of stress, anxiety, and certainly within Silicon Valley, that's very true. And while certainly if a lion was attacking you or you saw it coming towards you, this would kick in. You'd have this intense output of neurotransmitters. You would run, climb up a tree and survive, hopefully. Uh, that's not typically the situation we have today. So you have this engagement chronically. And uh, those levels of chronic uh, hormone release like cortisol or epinephrine, norepinephrine have a very deleterious effect when it's chronic. And it affects your peripheral vascular system, it affects your cardiac function, it affects your immune system, and ultimately it has an impact on your longevity. So how does altruism look in the modern world? Typically, the term altruistic means to do an act for another at potentially a cost to yourself. And so if that's sort of the nature of your question, do we do that less or does something impede us from doing that? Again, I think it also relates in some ways to chronic distraction from who we are at our core. And that's why practices such as meditation or inner reflection give you more insight into this, I think, and allow you to see why you should do those things or the purpose of those things. We know for long-lasting happiness and meaning, oftentimes it's, it's being of service or caring because that's your true nature. Although he believes our true nature is to care and to be of service, Dr. Dodi returned again to the realities of our evolutionary nature and baggage, and he offered advice on how to overcome the urges of tribalism or flight and fight responses. So I was talking about sort of our evolutionary nature, and I alluded to some other aspects of this evolutionary baggage. One is this issue of the flight or fight response or your amygdala engaging, and it sort of isn't as helpful in a modern society. But the other baggage we have that's related to this is tribalism. We have a tendency to relate to people who look like us, act like us, think like us, maybe the same religion, same color. What does that do? When you're around people who are like you, it decreases your stress, right? And even though they may be completely wrong, the problem is, in some ways, that narrative is is self-perpetuating because you're with the same group of people all the time who reinforce it. This is sort of what Fox News does. It's not reality. It's reinforcing a narrative that their clientele or constituency feel comfortable with. And this is our nature. If you read some of the psychology literature about cognitive biases, you know, there's a certain set of biases that we have as humans, just a natural tendency to buy into. And so for a self-aware person, you have to understand these weaknesses that are part of our nature. As example, tribalism or this tendency to be uncomfortable with settings, people, situations that we're not used to. So with mental training, you can actually respond to that. Where, as an example, as a neurosurgeon, when I started out in my training, if I would see an untoward event happen in surgery, like a vessel be cut accidentally, blood squirt, you know, you jump back in. But over time, there's not very many things, if any at all, 
that even increased my heart rate at surgery. It's a, a focus and you're prepared for any eventuality or you don't have an emotional attachment to any eventuality in the sense that when, let's say, that blood vessel gets cut and you're un- inexperienced, you don't know what to do and you're, you're, you're frightened. But if you can do this type of mental training where events happen, but you don't emotionally respond to them, you can be much more thoughtful and discerning about how you react to them. Right. So if you go into an environment, let's say that you're uncomfortable and say, yes, these feelings are going to come up. I understand they exist. They will come up. I may not even have control of that, but I'm not going to have an emotional response to that. And that allows you to be much more thoughtful. It's like getting up on a stage. For many people, that's one of the most frightening things there is to be in front of a large number of people, because naturally they think everyone is immediately judging them and they're going to be talking to each other to say how bad they are. And this is our own nature of our own insecurities. Dr. Doty's open heart and kindness has put him together with many of the world's spiritual leaders. You know, I've had the blessing of uh, meeting a lot of spiritual and religious leaders, which is always sort of a paradox, right? Why is this atheist always able to connect with these uh, spiritual or religious people? And, you know, my statement is it's not about the dogma. You know, evolve spiritual and religious leaders, frankly, most of them don't even have an interest in the dogma. And I I shouldn't say that. What I should say is that's not the most important thing here. They recognize at the end of the day, the most important thing is authenticity, having an open heart, and caring. And they can read that in a person in a microsecond. And that's why uh, you see things like this. You know, I have no other agenda I'm not asking for something. I don't want their blessing. I am not trying to convince them I'm worthy. I'm just present trying to do what I can do to make the world a better place. And it's really been such a joy. Many of them, such as the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, and even Glenn Beck, have given Dr. Dodi's book an endorsement. Ama, the hugging guru, is one of them. I didn't know who she was, so he described her and her tremendous service for her community. She's this sort of short, rotund woman who uh, came from a very poor, abusive background and early on started hugging people. And it became actually quite powerful. You know, now fast forward all these years, she runs a multi-billion dollar charity. She has ashrams all around the world. She um, is from southern India in Kerala state. She's transformed that state. She's set up power, uh, solar, electricity, water, clean water to all these villages. She's created trade schools, universities. There's a first-class medical school. There's a first-class hospital all for free. She feeds 10 million people a year. Look what she's allowed to manifest. This story about Ama really made me pause and consider how powerful one person can be we short-sell us to ourselves far too often. So you mentioned that living with an open heart can hurt because you're so vulnerable and you really put yourself out there and you leave yourself open to being abused potentially or being a victim. And I think that's a very scary thought for a lot of people, which is why people don't do it. And so what would be your advice for people who are just so afraid. And I think in most cases, they're afraid because this has happened to them before, right? They have opened themselves up to somebody and then they get hurt. And that's still going to be the case. But the reality is the greatest lessons we learn oftentimes is from those types of experiences. 
and the fact that at times people will take advantage of your vulnerability and hurt you should never stop you from still caring for other people because just like you experienced when either your vulnerability was taken advantage of or rejected how much it hurt you it should give you greater motivation to care when someone else is being vulnerable we're not going to be able to uh, prevent each of us from experiencing suffering or pain the greatest gifts oftentimes we get in life are frankly from those events occurring it gives us a depth of character it gives us wisdom it gives us insight you know this idea of equanimity you know all of us have tendency to desire you know whatever our greatest moment in life was winning an award or being acknowledged or being in the presence of people or saying how wonderful we are you know there's a tendency to want to i want to live like that where every day is like that but every day is not going to be like that and if you're always grasping for that every day you're going to be miserable all the time and then it's just like the reality is when you've been vulnerable and you've been hurt and you feel down those are transient too and it's this issue of having attachment to these emotional states it's not that you don't have them you uh, appreciate them or say you don't like them but it's getting lost in them because it's not so much the event itself it's how you respond to the event so if you can have a recognition of that which allows you to have a calmness of spirit no matter what happens to you but also have great appreciation when things are going well and also an understanding when they're not going that well that invariably they will get better it allows you to keep an even keel and you also understand that it's not just you. This is not an isolated phenomenon. As a neurosurgeon, I see people have the, the most horrible events happen to them. And I can assure every one of them, it can be worse. No matter what you were experiencing, it can be worse. You know, I had a woman, she had a condition that, that caused her to have some dysfunction in one of her hands. And she was weeping, saying how horrible her life was going to be now. I said, well, why don't I take you to the hospital and I'll introduce you to the 26-year-old who broke his neck and is quadriplegic on a ventilator. And you tell him how horrible your life is. So the things that oftentimes we think are horrible are actually uh, situations that allow us actually to become better people. And so when you keep that in mind and keep in mind that other people are suffering, and you should have gratitude. When you look at the world in general, most of us are actually extraordinarily blessed. And so if you keep that mindset, then uh, it's hard to be unhappy. People ask me sometimes uh, um, how I'm doing, and I say, if I wake up in the morning, I'm doing great. Yes, indeed. <laughs> this is true. You're alive. Exactly. You're enjoying another day with your family. Throughout our conversation, we returned again and again to reframing, shifting one's perspective, and appreciating what one has. Dr. Dodi lost a fortune when the stock market crashed and was forced to sell his house and most of his cars. When I lost 70-some million dollars uh, way back when, and I was effectively bankrupt, and I had people, God, your life must be ruined. Oh, it's horrible. What? Oh, God, this is the worst thing. How can you even wake up? Da, 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 da. I said, what are you talking about? I have my mental faculties. I'm a neurosurgeon. My worst day in the world is I'm a neurosurgeon 
who gets paid more than 99.9% of people. How could I complain about anything? I'm the most blessed, blessed person in the world, and I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunities that I've had. And, you know, it's just reframing. Most of us have never lost over $70 million. So Dr. Doty offers an example of reframing that we can all relate to. All of us have been in traffic where somebody's cut in front of you, right? And what do you do? There's a tendency to do two things. One is you use an expletive, and the other is you use a hand motion, right? And it's a very natural thing. Getting back to this reframing, if I told you that the person in front of you actually was the husband, his wife is next to him, she's broke her water, she's pregnant, she's bleeding, he's trying to get her to the hospital, to the hospital are you still going to flip a off? No. Of course not. And so you have to sit there, and if you then reframe this to say, probably the person who did that has some life event that's going on with them that is making them manifest that behavior. Then you don't have that same emotional response to it. And what you're doing is you're practicing compassion by reframing this. You're creating a narrative that, again, it's not the event. It's how you reacted to the event. And in fact, most of us in our day, when we interact with people who are aggressive or not kind, oftentimes has nothing to do with us at all. They had some event happen to them earlier that is causing them to manifest these behaviors. So when you always look at the world that way, you're almost never unhappy. Happiness or unhappiness comes from within. It's not because of external events. And so when you recognize this and allow yourself to truly be happy, and that is always manifested by caring for others, and you're happy every day. That's beautiful. Thank you. What is your life achievement of which you are most proud? Um, trying to um, always have an open heart. Thank you. Since my conversation with Dr. Doty, I have thought often of the immense impact one person can have. He overcame his life circumstances, not only to become a renowned neurosurgeon, but also to speak publicly about the power of compassion and kindness to change our lives and those around us. Many of us feel daunted by the idea of being fully engaged. We don't know where to start. We doubt that we can make a difference. Dr. Doty reminds us that we have no knowledge of what will happen next. Stay in the present and commit to reframing. Practice compassion and live with an open heart. The guest in our next episode is Roland Augustine. He's an art gallery owner by profession and a passionate advocate for justice in his private life. He is an exemplary everyday citizen who is invested in our society. Your question is really spot on about why art matters and apropos of Brian Stevenson's desire to build a memorial in Montgomery, Alabama and to have memorials enacted throughout the 27 lynching sites in America over the course of the next few years. Um, we need to address our history much as the Germans had to address their history with the Holocaust Memorial. Until next time, I'm Mila Atmos. Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. 
The associate producer is Miriam Tsumul. Find us online at futurehindsight.us and listen to us through your favorite streaming services.